When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 164 of the Source to Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. The Source to Say podcast is presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations. That's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson, look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack. How are you? Uh, I'm feeling okay because Kentucky won. They got to celebrate Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz on senior night. It was a great event. Uh, The night itself was great. The crowd was great. Uh, And Kentucky won by double digits. So for that reason, Sean, I am doing just fine. But uh, it wasn't a a perfect performance. It wasn't one that you uh, uh, left overly optimistic or thinking, you know, sunshine and rainbows about how uh, there's not a single team in the country that could beat this team. It, It was it was a. Uh, rather poor defensive effort, I think, from oh, from an overall perspective, but a lot of things to like about the offense. So, uh, Sean, uh, um, kind of let's jump right in about Kentucky's win over Ole Miss, and then we asked some questions as well uh, on Twitter, uh, and we'll kind of get to those as we wrap up the recap part of this show. But, Sean, let's uh, get it rolling with uh, your initial takeaways of Kentucky's win over Ole Miss. March 1st, you, you just want to win a basketball game. <laughs> I think that's my takeaway is find a way just to survive and get through it in advance. It, it was the last home game, and I know Ole Miss isn't the opponent that really presents a, a huge challenge. It's, it's not one that everybody gets fired up for, and it kind of just felt like they sl- kind of sleptwalk at times through uh, different parts of that game, especially on the defensive end. I think that's where – it's the most disappointing. I'm starting to have some concerns on, on that end, and they need to get that cleaned up. On the other side, though, their offensive efficiency goes up to number two in the country, while defensive efficiency drops to number 23. So you get the good, you get the bad, but they've got to get the defensive end of the floor figured out over the next couple of days going into Florida, and then especially over that long layoff from Sunday through next Friday at the SEC tournament. But a win's a win, Jack. They they got a win. They finished undefeated at Rupp Arena this season. But Kentucky does have some things they have to clean up. 
Yeah. Uh, what was it we said following Kentucky's loss at Arkansas? We said it almost exactly the way it unfolded, really. Uh, we said, you know, now that you lost at Arkansas, the chances of you getting that number one seed in the SEC are rather slim. Um, it's not even very likely that you're going to win the uh, or get that number two seed in the SEC. Uh, there's still an outside shot and a couple things dominoes have to fall for that to happen. But uh, it's looking more likely that Kentucky is that third seed. Uh, and, and after that loss, we basically said, okay, now that we understand where, where things are to close out the regular season, we know that Kentucky's probably firmly in that, you know, number two seed line in the NCAA tournament. Maybe if some, some teams up top fall uh, in this last weekend, maybe we get some movement and Kentucky jumps into that last uh, number one seed, uh, Sean. But we, we said after that Arkansas game, look, Let's just finish out this regular season with two wins. It doesn't matter how it happens. All you care about is getting your team healthy. If it means, uh, you know, Savi Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington play limited minutes or, uh, you know, you don't win by 35 points in a blowout, as long as you scrape scrape uh, away and fight claw for a, a win and, you know, your players stay healthy, that's, that's all you can ask for. And that's exactly how it unfolded. Kentucky – uh, does a lot of things well, does a lot of things that didn't go quite well. But A, most importantly, Cyber Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington play well. They uh, stay healthy, and it, it appears that Kentucky won't have any serious injury issues going into Mar into the SEC tournament. Uh, and B, you won. You won by 11 points, and you're still right there in the thick of things. You just could not afford a loss against uh, what amounts to a, a pretty poor Ole Miss team. They played very well. Um as Cal said after the game, Oscar Shibway got bullied. That was kind of one of Cal's biggest takeaways. He said uh, down low he he thought that Oscar didn't have his best performance, even in a uh, an 18.15 rebound game where he became the number three all-time rebounder in Kentucky basketball history. So that just, again, relatively speaking, but um, it, things could have been a lot better. Uh, but at the end of the day, a win is a win, and that's exactly what Kentucky needed, exactly what we talked about following the uh, Kentucky's win or loss at Arkansas. Yeah, I thought their the biggest takeaway was clearly Savir kind of returning to normal form, 16 points, six of nine shooting, two of three from three, showing an improved three-point shot. How about this number? Uh, I know I, I tweeted it earlier. Let me pull it up. So the first 14 games of the year, he was four of 23 from three. The last 12, he's 10 of 20. Four of those makes in the first 23 were in the Duke game. So he had a stretch there where he missed about 20 straight. Uh, or 18 or 19 or somewhere through there. But and to me, Jack, I don't know if it's – maybe it was just me, but his shot looked different the last couple of games. I know he banked one in the other day, but the two that he hit last night, it looked like the rotation was there. Uh, it looked like it just looked different out of his hands. It looked like it maybe had a different trajectory on it than it usually does. It wasn't as flat. Well, let me tell you, we actually got a question on that on the Twitter feed. Uh, Kyle uh, Woeful Jest is his at name, says, has Wheeler changed his shooting mechanic? Because, uh, as you said, the, the numbers do kind of indicate that something has changed. Uh, do you have any idea what you think that change could have been? It just looks different out of his hand, I think. And, two, they were both good shots, the ones he made last night. They, they didn't just come off a forced three-point attempt. They came from something inside or – or playing through the offense or playing off someone else. At times early in the year, there were rushed three-point attempts that I felt like he was selfishly taking, maybe because he had been used to having to do that in the past. But now he's above 32% on the year. That's respectable. If he stays 30 to 32%, you at least have to maybe get a hand up 
and, and try to at least defend him. You don't, you can't just leave him open. So I think that maybe some time in the gym, it looks maybe like that right hand is off the ball. I know that was a thing that thumb would like to get on that basketball. Yeah. And I watched him up close early in the season and uh, I'm not able to be down on the floor and see it up close, but I'd like to slow it down and see, but the ball looks like it's spinning a lot better than it was a month or two ago. Now, maybe it was Kentucky playing down to the opponents. Maybe it was them, you know, just wanting to get out of there with a win, kind of playing lackadaisical, not uh, being all in and engaged on that end of the floor. Because, again, they were very impressive uh, offensively. But um, there are some concerns defensively that have kind of presented themselves over the last uh, couple games, especially. And we did get a question on the Twitter feed from Adam Mercer uh, off night defensively versus Ole Miss. Are you actually concerned with UK's defense at this point in time? Uh, Sean, curious what your thoughts are there. I am a little bit because I had just chalked it up as not being in rhythm with one another. Like before Tata got hurt against Florida, this was one of the better defensive teams in college basketball. Like they were scoring at will, they were defending with a, just a different level of intensity, and it's kind of gone away the last few games. And I think the thing that concerns me is Ole Miss isn't a very good offensive team. I know they're like 120, I believe, in offensive efficiency in Ken Palm. So uh, that that was a little disappointing. I know Arkansas uh, and things like that, they're, they're better than Ole Miss. And when you have these guards, but you have Note going for 30, you've had Pippen go for 30, you've, you've had some really good guards kind of heat up Kentucky and light up Kentucky. And I, I think that's concerning. But one encouraging thing that I have seen, though, is it looks like Tata Washington has emerged to be their best defender, like on-ball defender, off-ball defender. He's in gaps. He's he's getting steals. We expect Savir to be a really good on-ball defender, especially when postseason play gets here. I think Oscar does some good things in the post. This is where I come from with John Calipari saying that last night that Damian Collins will be the reason why they advance or not advance for a round or two. And he's kind of wanting to get him in there. I think maybe that's because he needs that length defensively to affect some shots. Like they don't have a rim protector. That's the one thing that you could say about this team. And I know I've said that I would rather have Oscar getting steals than getting blocks because those steals lead to transition opportunities. But you would still like to see Kentucky kind of affect some shots at the rim. Uh, I do think that they're going to significantly improve over the next week or two defensively because I think John Calipari is going to lock in on it. But you do want to see that number start to climb back up there and get to number 12, 13th in Ken Palm. And I said yesterday on uh, on Kentucky Daily that I want to see Kentucky the next five games. Last night, Florida and the SEC tournament, if they advance all the way to the finals, I want to look and see where they are in defensive efficiency compared to the rest of college basketball through those five. Because the five games before that, they have not been very good. Yeah, and I, I think something that does carry a lot of weight is we have seen this team play lockdown defense at times. It hasn't been consistent enough to our liking, but uh, we have seen this team climb up into, as you said, Sean, the top 15 at the very least. You know, There, there was a time they got up to that top 15, stuck firmly in that top 20 uh, for a lot of this season. So we have seen this team play elite defense, and I do, I, I do wonder if, once they lost, you know, down uh, those couple games down the stretch, once that, that Tennessee game happened where it's like, all right, uh, the, the chances of us really uh, taking over that number one seed line from Auburn at, at the, you know, the top of the SEC, maybe that kind of reshifted their focus into, all right, well, let's just get through the end of this regular season and focus on postseason play. Uh, again, I think that there's a lot of, 
of long term. And I, I, I'm not saying they're overlooking these teams, but I think they have a mindset of let's take care of business game by game, but really make sure that we're ready when the games matter most. So I, I really am not overly concerned uh, about the perimeter defense, especially. And I know there's some some interior stuff as well, but I, you know some of the biggest gripes have come from perimeter defense, Sean. But I I do think that once we said, as you said. Uh, once we see them down in Tampa, when the games are starting to be, you know, kind of a, a winner go home type situation, uh, there, there's no reason to think that guys like Davion Mintz and Ty Ty Washington and Xavier Wheeler, guys out on the perimeter, Jacob Toppin being as, as elite defensively as he is, that 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 they're going to see any major slip ups. I think that once the, the games are kind of do or die, I, I just think that we're going to see a, ho- a whole new level of engagement and, and, and intensity that uh, I think will erase some of these late season woes. I think so too. I think that they're going to lock in and defend at a high level because look, they're they're going to they can score and win in a shootout. Like they're efficient enough offensively to do that. But let's say there's a night where Grady's not hitting threes or Tata can't get a shot to fall, then you're going to have to rely on that defensive effort and that's what I want to see them be able to do. Can can they win a game where their shots aren't falling in March? Like cuz we know one of those six to win a national championship it's going to be a performance where you can't get a bucket to go and you've got to rely on the defense. Uh, but I, I want to see them definitely lock in here defensively over the next seven to 10 days and and get that cleaned up and, and get back on track because they have got to do that. And I think John Calipari obviously knows that. He, he knows that his team needs to be defending at a high level as well as scoring the ball at a high level. And if they can get those two things to match up, uh, the one thing I keep coming back to that I want to see and you're not going to see it on Saturday. I don't think Florida – right now, Florida's not an NCAA tournament team. Can they play their way into that? Absolutely. And they're, they're going to be a desperate team in Gainesville and then a desperate team next week in Tampa, not having to travel very far either for them. But the thing that I want to see is in Tampa. I want to see Kentucky beat good teams grinding it out late. I feel like that's the one thing that's missing from their season and their resume. The really impressive wins, they've, they've kind of – they blew out Kansas. They beat Tennessee badly at Rupp Arena. They beat Alabama on the road by double figures. I want to see them against a good basketball team like a Tennessee or an Auburn or an Arkansas have to execute to win a basketball game late in the final three or four minutes. I think that's the one thing that's missing. We've seen them do it against bad teams. I want to see them do it against a really good team that is being talked about being an Elite Eight team or a possible Final Four team. Yeah, and I think there are going to be plenty of those type of opportunities, whether it's the uh, semifinals on on Saturday or uh, obviously the title game on Sunday, maybe back-to-back. I think that would be a great opportunity for Kentucky to kind of reestablish themselves, really lock in. And, and uh, I think it's it's honestly the best thing for this team uh, to have a, a test or two down the stretch uh, in games that really matter, where uh, it's a neutral environment, where it's not going to be – you know, down in, in at Bud Walton Arena or, uh, you know, Thompson Bowling or somewhere like that where it's it's a clear one-sided affair. I think if, if it's a, uh, a neutral floor similar to what you're going to see uh, in the NCAA tournament against a high-level, kind of what you said, Elite Eight-type team uh, that could make a run in the tournament, then I, I think that kind of resets their focus and goes, okay, here's what it took to beat this team in this type of setting, we're going to see this setting again next weekend in the NCAA tournament. Here's what we got to do to make that happen. I think it's a perfect opportunity. Uh, This could not come at a better time. Yeah, and and we got to see them figure out who they were playing through when it came to those games against LSU and Alabama at Rupp Arena. Those were close games. They went to Oscar some. 
I know Kellen Grady got hot, obviously, against Alabama. We know who they went to in those games. But can you confidently say right now against a really good basketball team, a team that we consider to be one of the the teams that could get to the final weekend, second weekend in the NCAA tournament, we haven't really seen who Kentucky would go to because we've not got to see them at full strength in one of those games close. I mean, Tennessee was one of those teams in Knoxville, but it wasn't a close game. Kentucky never really had a chance to win that game. Tata wasn't 100%, didn't play much. Uh, Auburn, those two guards went down with injuries. Tata went down mid-first half. So against the teams, uh, Arkansas, Saturday, you can go back to that. They weren't full strength. So we real, I don't really know who they play through when it comes down to one of the elite teams in college basketball. Do they post Oscar? Do they go to some of that pick and roll with Oscar and Tata? I, I want to see that answered over the next week and a half. And I think that's why it was so important to – get those two guards acclimated and, and back to the lineup and get them back to full strength and, and in rhythm. And, and Tata didn't have to play as many minutes last night. He, with Davion being senior night, Cal was able to rest Tata. He didn't play him 35-plus. He only played him about 25 minutes, I believe 24. Uh, Kellen Grady only played 30, so he's getting got a little bit of a break the last couple of games to refresh and rest those legs. Uh, I want to see what they do at full strength against quality opponents, and that's what Tampa's going to present. You, you ask a good question because that's actually one that we uh, got from a, a tweeter. Austin White asked, who's your go-to guy when you have three-plus minutes, uh, a three-plus minute drought and you need a bucket? Is the obvious answer Oscar, whoever else has the hot hand? Uh, wondering who's going to be that guy in postseason play who feels like it's going to come up at some point. Um, and I think it is a great question. That, like you said, it's. I think that's something that we're going to find uh, here in Tampa I think that guy is Oscar Shibway, but you know, I, I'm still waiting for Ty Ty Washington to have that moment. I know he had the ball in his hands late against uh, Notre Dame in that road game, but again, it was so early in the uh, early in the year, and and he hadn't established himself as uh, kind of that dynamic three level scorer that we all know he can be. Uh, and Sean, I'd like to think that he's going to have a Tyrese Maxey moment or a. Uh, you, you know, somebody like that who has made the clutch play when the game matters most with a game on the line, kind of that like, oh, welcome to the show moment uh, with uh, on college basketball's brightest stage. I think that 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 Ty Ty is kind of the underrated pick for that. Obviously, you know, Kellen Grady is a guy that can make that shot. You know, Davion Mintz is a guy uh, who has given you that over the last two years during his time at Kentucky. But uh, I kind of I really liked what I saw from Ty Ty Washington. He was patient. He was poised. He was controlled. He got to his spots, and he was making shots uh, again, Sean. And I think that was a very positive sign. Health aside, uh, it was just really good to see him see the ball fall through the net one more time uh, like we saw during his hot stretch leading you know, prior to injury. And I do think that at, when push comes to shove, he's going to have a moment in March that is going to be like the, whoa, there it is. That's what we've been waiting for, that clutch time shot. Maybe it's to win a game. Maybe it's to kind of uh, spread a lead out to to keep the opponent out of the game. However it unfolds, I think Ty Ty Washington is going to have a significant moment uh, during this, this postseason run. And I do think that Oscar will be the guy that they play through, but I'm with you that I want to see Ty Ty be that guy that kind of goes and gets a bucket. And we've seen it at times, like at South Carolina, I tweeted he was their go-get-a-bucket guy, but I want to see it in a close game. I don't think it's going to be Grady. Uh, Grady's a guy that they don't run a lot of action for. Grady kind of gets his off of Savir getting downhill, off of Oscar getting offensive rebounds or, or Tata getting in the lane or in transition. He and Mintz are the guys that kind of feed off Kentucky being really elite in the open floor. 
Uh, that's why I don't think it's going to be Grady getting a lot of uh, action ran for him. But feels like Oscar would be the guy that would get it. But then Tata too, and I maybe put them together, run some of that pick and roll stuff. Maybe run some of that Spain action with Grady being the back screener and uh, getting the look from three point range. Uh, you'll see some of that stuff answered over the next couple of weeks. I hope Kentucky goes on a run to at least the finals in Tampa because I want to see them in three games against quality teams. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, and it's something I'm absolutely excited to see. I just – I don't know. There's something something telling me that Ty Ty is going to be uh, that guy. Maybe it's in Tampa. I, I just I just really liked what I saw – against Ole Miss with him just his ability to you know he just he's just so patient as a player and uh you could really tell how bothered he was with his injury and he, he just was not the same guy the last uh couple weeks and and seeing him kind of finally round into form it's the perfect time exactly what we'd hope for uh following that Arkansas game just kind of hoping that you could get those two rolling and and they that's definitely what we saw um let's uh before we go kind of rapid fire with these questions on Twitter because there are a lot that involve this team kind of the long-term stuff, what this team's tournament hopes are, things like that. Uh, some A couple of recruiting questions that we'll get to, but I want to make sure that the focus is on on this season because we have a whole off-season of, of recruiting questions to get to. So, I, you know, the focus will be on this team itself. But, uh, Sean, it was a big night last night because we got to say goodbye to Davion Mintz and Kellen Grady one final time at Rupp Arena. Um, and I, did, I, I didn't want to overlook that because those are two guys that have given their absolute all to this program, Cal, uh, could not have raved about both of them more. It just you know, especially Davion for what he went through this past season and or, uh, last year, that nine and sixteen team, the way he kind of willed the team to victory or to the finish line, even if he wasn't able to you know execute the win at the end of the day. Uh, just what, how much of a warrior he established himself as in year one, and then year two, just finding his role and and just carving it out from day one and really buying in. I just I just can't thank those two enough for what they've done. Kellen is a as an unbelievable scorching hot shooter that this team so desperately needed, especially with CJ uh, CJ Frederick being injured. Uh, I just think those two guys deserve their roses. Uh, for an unbelievable year for Kellen and two years for Davion. And uh, I decided it was a really, really cool moment to see them both kind of get uh, embraced by that Rupp Arena crowd for the last time. It was, and it was really cool to see Kellen go out there and actually remind Cal that, or to get Davion out of the game. <laughs> I think Cal yeah. I think Cal was going to do it. Uh, somebody said Cal's not used to having seniors <laughs> and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's funny. But Grady walks up to Cal and, and told him to go, hey, don't forget, get Davion out here so he can get a round of applause. And Grady was the one leading it. And you got to see them kind of share that moment. But, no, uh, those two, unbelievable. Davion Mintz, I believe he has to be the first player in U.K. basketball history to go through two senior nights, right? I believe so. I, I think that – that. Uh... Patrick Patterson considered it if he had come back for his senior year because he went through that junior year senior night. And I remember when that happened, it was like, oh, I wonder if there's a chance that we see two of him. But uh, from what I can remember, I think Davion is the first. Yeah, and uh, pretty cool. And how cool was it that he actually got to have his family there by his side this time around? And I know last year it was just him on the floor uh, with that frame jersey. This year it was his mom and it was his dad. He got to do it with uh, with his teammates and everything there as well. A full Rupp Arena crowd. He got to hear the crowd roar a couple times for him when he made some threes. Uh, you can't say enough about that guy. I know when you and I hosted Sources Say or uh, KSR, when the Sources Say takeover of KSR back in July, 
we had Davion on as a guest and we talked about that energy in Rupp Arena. And that was a guy that really got to feel it this year. He got the Kentucky effect. He got the Kentucky experience. Uh, same thing with Kellen, uh, getting that moment this year. You got to see those two, I mean, make huge impacts. And you're going to see them make huge plays down the stretch here as Kentucky tries to make a run in postseason play. How about Ty Ty Washington last night in the postseason or uh, the postgame comments saying that he got the Kentucky experience? We, we all know that, you know, Ty Ty is a, an NBA draft pick and we fully expect him to, to be gone. But I thought it was really cool for a freshman to step up there at the podium and, and realize that the team before him didn't get that experience which tells me Cal's talked a lot about it this year and to enjoy it. And it was cool to see him recognize that as well. Yeah. I watched him stay afterward and take pictures and sign autographs for 20 minutes. Uh, the reason why his post-game press conference, why it took so long for him to come out, Sean, is because he was out uh, at, on the Rupp Arena floor and, 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 you know, up in the stands signing autographs and taking pictures and, and, you know, doing his best with, uh, you know, making sure he soaked in his final Rupp Arena experience for what we all anticipate to be his final one. Uh, so that's why uh, that's why it took so long for him to come back. But yeah, uh, that's another guy that has done so much and, and played through injury and fought and done so much good for this team. It's just crazy to think. I, I was talking with uh, Zach up on Press Row. Uh, he typed in... Uh, Ty Ty Washington, Texas A&M, you know, seeing what, what his stats were against Texas A&M. And, and it, it was a tweet from last March, March 2021, blessed to receive an offer from Texas A&M uh, from Ty Ty's Twitter account. And it's just it, we just kind of took a step back and it was like, wow, it's it, it has only been a year since he was still all in on his recruiting process and dealing with all that stuff. You remember going down to I, the Iverson Classic and, uh, you know, talking to Ty Ty and and figuring out his recruitment and him committing shortly thereafter. Uh, and then it just feels like it, it's just been the blink of an eye. And Ty Ty's freshman year is already almost over, and we're already approaching postseason play. Uh, just a, a crazy how different it is when the team is successful and the players are good and how enjoyable the games are. You know, they say time flies when you're having fun. I mean, this this really is the epitome of that. This really describes that about as perfectly as you can because it does feel like this year in particular uh, has flown by more than any I can remember in recent memory. And it's a, a as uh, it's bittersweet because I do have enjoyed this ride uh, just as much as about as any other as I can remember in recent memory. But it is, uh, you know, very sad that it's coming to a very, very quick end. Hopefully uh, there's another 10 games in them. Yeah, hopefully so. And just an incredible night from Oscar again. I know Cal said that he got bullied a little bit, but it's pretty wild that someone can get bullied and still get 18 and 15 uh, on a Power 5 team. And and Oscar's closing in on some more rec records too, Jack, when it comes to Dan Issel in that 1969-70 season. I know he's two double-doubles away from having the most for a single season in UK history. I know career double-doubles with David Robinson. I think that's 31, so he needs can, they need to play at least eight more games for him, for him to have a shot at that. Uh, just incredible what he's doing. National Player of the Year, possibly. Uh, National Defensive Player of the Year finalist. You got Xavier Wheeler up for the Bob Cousy Award. Got a lot of good going on in Lexington and, and on this team. And uh, this March run, and hopefully Kentucky plays 10. Yeah, if he continues his current pace, so right now he moved up to number three in the all-time rebounding list, uh, past Bob Burrow last night, who had 459 in that 1954-55 season. Uh, the only two guys ahead of him are Bill Spivey, who had 567 in 1950 and 1951, and Cliff Hagen, who had 528 
in 1951-52. So he's 108 rebounds away from that record, Sean. He is on pace to break that record in seven games if he uh, continues his 15.3 rebound average the rest of the way. So it's a um, we're we're close. We're very very close. And uh, and gosh, what a dude! I think he deserves it more than anybody that I can remember. It was it was awesome seeing his most recent. Uh, you know, he he wants to be a preacher. That's something that came out here in recent weeks. That uh, after his basketball days are over, that he wants to uh, become a pastor. And and he made his preaching debut here in, in a local church in Lexington, Broadway Baptist. Which I mean, just uh, how cool is that? A dude that uh, is able to go out on the Rupp Arena floor and do what he does on a daily day-to-day basis. And then, you know, step off of it and be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to have a 30 minute sermon today. I'm going to preach a 30 minute sermon uh, and, and, you know, stand up there and do well. They released the audio of the sermon today and he did pretty, pretty darn well. So for him to just do what he's able to do and accomplish so much in such little time at, at Kentucky. Uh, I mean, I, I just hope that fans can take a step back and realize uh, that we have never seen anything like this before in Kentucky basketball history. I know that there's still names ahead of him on these lists, and uh, there's still records to be broken. But uh, let's just let's just put it out there and make, get one thing straight: we have never seen a player like Oscar Sheboy come through this program, and I really hope that uh, fans embrace that. Uh, you know, there's some stuff that we got to talk about here in these questions, and I do have some stuff to address, and I. I Uh, Just kind of bear with me, but I would highly encourage fans uh, soak up this moment with Oscars as much as possible because uh, a a second year in Lexington is not promised. It's not guaranteed. Do not get, you know, just assume that you're going to get him for another year. Make sure that you're enjoying every second that you get with him to close out this regular season, this this SEC tournament and NCAA tournament, because uh, this is a guy that uh, we will never see anything like it. Uh, ever again at Kentucky. This is a, a once in a lifetime type player and uh, uh, enjoy every second of him. I agree. I second that, especially when it comes to a player with his talent, how hard he works. How about him diving on the floor there and, and getting that loose ball last night? And Kentucky gets a my basket. Fa- my favorite play of the game. Yep. Kentucky gets a basket out of it. And I know Keon Brooks actually dove on the floor there early and, and tipped one out for transition as well. It was good to see Kentucky diving on the court. But when it comes to Oscar, his effort, his energy, his attitude, his presence, just everything about him, it's just – it's it's amazing. That, that's all you can actually say about the guy is regardless if it's one year, two years, or what, it, Kentucky fans will certainly miss him whenever he moves on. You've never had a guy that kind of, I think, everybody in the fan base gravitated to. I mean, you've had your guys that in Anthony Davis, everybody was drawing a a unibrow on their head and then things like that are on their face. But with Oscar, I think he's reunited a lot of people this year and he's a, he's the ringleader of this team and how close this team is. It's easy to love them. It's easy to love Oscar. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun ride the next few weeks. Yeah. Let's uh, all enjoy it uh, because I most certainly will. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, um, this this month, it, one of my favorite moments of the game last night was the last thing Davion Mint said when he took the mic. You know, they kind of let Ty Ty talk over the mic, and then uh, Davion took over, and then and then Kellen afterward. But the last thing Davion says was, uh, it, "It's March first. Let's finish the let, let's finish this thing out." And I thought that was a really cool quote where he kind of almost like what we talked about to start the show. That mindset of, "All right, we took care of business, wrapped up an undefeated slate at Rupp Arena." Uh, only the sixth time in John Calipari's history 
at Kentucky. Good. Glad we were able to do that, but it's March 1st. It's go time. I really appreciated his mindset. And it does, I think, play into that, what we talked about, that they are absolutely focused on March and what this these next couple of weeks are going to mean to this program. And that's what uh, gets me quite excited about that, Sean. Let's uh, go rapid fire on these questions because, again, as, as usual, I asked for questions assuming that we'll get, you know, five, six, ten of them, uh, and uh, we end up getting 30 to 40 questions. So we got to make sure that we at least get a strong bulk. There's no way we'll be able to get all of them. But, uh, again, we'll have plenty of time to ask questions all offseason and uh, uh, plenty of good stuff to get to. But I do, Sean, want to talk about the kind of big news. Uh, not necessarily news, but kind of the uh, scuttlebutt behind the scenes. People, everybody wants to know about the two big names. Is Oscar Shibway coming back? And is Shaden Sharp going to come back? And I do want to address the uh, kind of most recent development. Um, Timothy Robbins asks, uh, it odds Oscar returns. I know there were some some fans that asked about um, if there were any uh, center options that could, you know, Laren DG asked, what chances of Oscar returning? Um, you know, a bunch of different guys asked about potential transfer options if, if, Oscar does uh, decide to leave. And I will say that the last couple of weeks, you know, the NIL stuff came out that he's going to be, you know, he said that he's open for business and he's able to talk NIL deals and things of that nature. Um, And at that time, just surface level thinking. And I know there's still some optimism on on Kentucky side that they'll be able to convince him uh, to come back. But uh, the conventional thinking was that he'll be able to get several million dollars in NIL and that he'd obviously be able to make more than what he would make as a second round pick and, and those types, those sorts of things. That's why everybody kind of penciled him in is, oh, okay, if he's able to make several million dollars, uh, it's obviously going to be more than what he's going to be making as a second round pick uh, and just kind of assuming that he's going to come back. Um, I will say that uh, the NIL stuff is a little bit more complicated than he's open for business. I think that was something that just kind of building excitement for Uh, that possibility because it's not as cut and dry as give him an NIL deal and he'll be able to go to the bank and cash the money. There's a lot more that's going into it. And I will say that because there is red tape to go through, there's still a lot of details that have not yet been finalized, a lot of uh, extra stuff going on with that. I will say that uh, it's not... um, it's not a, a foregone conclusion that he's coming back. And in, in fact, if you were going to ask me right now, as of March 2nd at 5.24 p.m., I would say Oscar Sheboy now does not come back. And I will say uh, that, I, that my reasoning behind this is uh, mostly because, A, his draft stock, I think, is a little bit better. Uh, and especially his camp, I think, thinks that his draft stock is a little bit better. And when it comes to interviews and when he uh, goes through the draft process, I think that they – think that there's a chance he'll be able to slide into that late first round range. They like the guarantee that comes with being a multi-year guarantee in in the first round and those types of things. Uh, I think that's something that very much intrigues him, especially with the federal legislation still what it is. It is not um, it's not a free for all with NIL for him uh, as as the other players. So that is definitely something that if the federal legislation is lifted in the coming weeks, in the coming month or two, I do think that that raises the chances exponentially. And I do think that, that he would end up coming back if that were the case. Uh, But if there's still stuff up in the air uh, and that he, you know, on paper, he'd be able to make three, four, $5 million coming back to Kentucky. But uh, there's a difference between saying he'd be able to do that and actually him legally being able to do that. And if that's the case, 
uh, I do think that he would end up leaving and going pro if he's not able to to claim that money. So uh, I will just put it out there that it is not the foregone conclusion that uh, even me, you know, just assuming putting two and two together, looking at the numbers uh, and, and hoping for the best that uh, that it's not a guarantee that he ends up coming back. And I think that's going to be uh, something that we need to be paying very close attention to root for a resolu- a federal re- uh, federal legislation uh, resolution. I think that's something fans should be hoping for sooner rather than later, because that would make things a lot clearer uh, as things stand right now. Things are uh, clear as mud, as they say, Sean, and uh, uh uh, definitely makes me want to take a step back and go, okay, there's still a lot more to go into this. And um, it would hurt because I've kind of sold myself on the possibility of Oscar coming back. And now that it does, it, that there is some stuff going on behind the scenes that indicate that that may not be the case. I will admit that it's uh, uh, it does hurt for the possibility of, of, you know, high end optimism and expectations for next season. It does. And honestly, you, you didn't have it as high as some others did. I think you said it. About what 50 50 <laughs> a couple about a week or so ago. So you Yeah, especially just from a, a basketball perspective. If he just wanted to go because he was ready to be a pro, then you know, I, I kind of left it at that. But uh, I didn't realize there was as there was still as much red tape to go through with the NIL stuff stuff as there is. And I think that's why I de- I definitely want to pump the brakes because some of these questions that we were being asked is, you know, uh, assuming Oscar comes back, what do what do they do for blah blah blah? And I just think that there's kind of this. Uh, automatic assumption that that he is coming back and obviously I'm hoping he's my the my favorite player I've ever covered at Kentucky but I I just do think that it's very necessary to pump the brakes a little bit because it is absolutely not a foregone conclusion at all yeah yeah I agree with you 100% there well let's uh keep rolling through and and you know on that note uh you know my guy Akshay asks about you know transfers who we could target to replace Sharp and or Oscar if if that does end up coming uh, to fruition. Uh, any LFG cats? Sean Sutton asks any whispers on returnees or transfers out yet? Um, Smooth eighty six asks what would uh, UK add if if Sharp leaves from the portal? Things like that. Um, I do think that. I mean, obviously, no contact has been made, no conversations with players, obviously, because they haven't entered the portal and it'd be illegal. So uh, I I do think it's more so I I do think that Kentucky has kind of put together a list of potential options, guys like, hey, we like this kid. We like what they've done at the collegiate level. If he decides to put his name in the portal, let's make sure that he's at the top of our, of our priority list that, I mean, I do know that those conversations have been had and, you know, just kind of put it, you know, forward thinking in the chance that Oscar leaves and especially with Shaden Sharp leaving, uh, that's a, you know, 15, 16, 20 point per game score that you're going to have to replace. Uh, and that's definitely a, a lot to replace. So uh, as we said, the last several shows, you got to find the next Kellen Grady, you got to find the next, uh, you know, somebody like that. I don't know if there are any major reclass options. I don't think that Mookie Cook is going to be that guy for Kentucky. Unfortunately, I do think that the tide has turned. And and Oregon, as I said on the show, uh, they were going to roll out the red carpet for him and make sure his official visit was the best thing he's ever been on in his life, Uh, make promises, make offers and say, we'll give you this, 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 and this. I told you, I said that that's exactly how it would unfold. And that's what the pitch was. And that's exactly kind of what the expectation is. And there's a reason that the tide has turned in favor of, uh, of Oregon. And, you know, I do think the pro route still an option. Kentucky is still looming as that third option, I think behind both Oregon and the pro route. But uh, that is something that is just kind of out of Kentucky's control, out of Kentucky's hand, you know, 
Cal doesn't make promises. Cal doesn't promise playing time and this and that. So it just kind of is what it is at this point. I think Kentucky will have to find a secondary option. I know there were a couple questions about um, Mookie Cook, so hopefully that uh, answered them. I know uh, Mayhew will ask anything new about the recruitment of Mookie Cook, so I think that uh, answered that. But they're going to have to find a, a different option. you got to hope that Jacob Toppin comes back and is a – a star next season. You got to hope maybe Keon Brooks decides to come back. Hope that you can recruit Bryce Hopkins back next season. There was some some transfer buzz with him that we uh, addressed on this show. I think you know several weeks back. Have heard a little bit better things, especially after his most recent breakout. That uh, there is a chance that he may uh, coming back come back as well, which I think would be a major major win on Kentucky's part if he's able to do that. And it would definitely make me feel better about uh, everything else, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any there are any real names out there yet. I think we're going to see tournament time. Cal's going to be keeping a closer eye on high level scores if it does appear that Sharp does uh, leave. I know his camp is still saying um, that that he's coming back and that they have no other cho- choice but to come back. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know why everybody's assuming that he's leaving. They're going to be looking stupid at the end of the end of the day, all that stuff. They're saying all the right things, but uh, I, I think there is kind of a working assumption in, in major national basketball uh, recruiting circles, you know, draft circles, guys that uh, are in this business just do not think that uh, he's going to end up coming back. And I guess we'll see. I, I am still very much right on the fence. I am 50, 50. I have no idea what he's going to do if you, it depends on who you want to believe you if you believe sharps camp he's coming back if you believe what the national people are saying they're saying that he's leaving so uh we'll definitely leave it at that um logan greenwell my guy asks if uh overtime elite guys are eligible for college do you expect kentucky to reach back out to 2023 guys like jalen lewis uh potentially because that 2023 class, especially at the center position is awful. And if they don't go after a guy like Jalen Lewis, who they did offer originally the only center that they offered in that class, I think it's absolutely a portal or bust option or a a 2024 reclass guy, because uh, I just absolutely hate the 2023 options at center, especially just as a, uh, an immediate impact type guy. I just don't think that that's uh, the route that they're going to want to go to. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, this one uh, for you, Sean, Ryan Roberts asked, what's the perfect top four seeds to be uh, within the NCAA? I take Kansas as our one, us with the, at the two, Purdue as the three, and Houston at the four. If you have your dream scenario among likely scenarios, what uh, would you hope those top four seeds are in Kentucky's bracket? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> Let me think on this one. So are we locking Kentucky in as the two? Yeah, let, let's go ahead and do that. I would take Kansas as the one. After what we saw, you know, a month ago in Lawrence, I think Kentucky's the better team when it comes to that. Uh, for the three, so who's on the three line right now? You got Purdue, Providence, Texas Tech, Villanova, those teams. Mm, go Providence. I, I would I would say Providence because I think then it comes down to, you know, programs that have, that have not been in that moment, if they get there that, that far along. Uh, who would be the fours? Um, hmm. Just going off lock with scenarios instead of just random teams. Let's see here. Jerry Palm has Tennessee as a four, Alabama as a four, UConn as a four, Illinois as a four. I mean, it'd be fun to see Kofi and Oscar go at it. But I oh, I'm for it. Let's sign that up. <laughs> that, uh, the ultimate, the, the uh, ultimate death match of Kentucky's center targets of the 2021 offseason. I am all in on. Kofi versus Oscar Shibway. 
Yeah, because the rest of it here with Jerry is all SEC teams, Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, well, yeah, what, what are the chances? And then Arkansas is a five. What do you think the chances are that Kentucky, if they get like a one, if, if they end up getting a one, what are the chances you think they meet an SEC team in the Sweet 16? Because there's like a pack of teams right there hovering around a four or a three. So even if they get a one or a two, I mean, there's like three teams right there hovering around it. Do they put them in the bracket where there's not an SEC team or or what? Because that would be interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, one of those Tennessees or Arkansas LSU's or – six yeah, right LSU, now? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, just playing the odds, There's gonna, they're all going to be in there. I mean, they're going to be in one of our brackets. It's almost a guarantee. So just playing the odds there, I'm going to say we will see an SEC matchup in the Sweet 16. Yeah, that's, that's a very good possibility. So Tampa might be the first taste of it, and you might get it again in a week or two. So, uh, yeah, but I think that Kansas is the, the one or the two in Kentucky's bracket when you're talking the ones of being Gonzaga, Arizona, I kind of want to stay away from Arizona until you have to see them. I do think – I know they had that game against Colorado. They were really impressive last night versus USC when it comes to Ken Palm, one of the more efficient teams in college basketball. Baylor, the more I watch Baylor right now, Jack, it's a team I want to avoid. I think they're starting to get back to that December form that they had. They're one of the teams the last time I looked, and it, maybe it changed overnight. And We know how Ken Palm – Likes to update. I mean, look, uh, no, Baylor is ninth in adjusted offense and 10th in adjusted defense. So one of those elite teams that are in the top 10 in both categories, there's only two of them, and it's Baylor and it's Gonzaga. Baylor's, to me, feels more real because I know who they've played over this season. They've got 12 quad one victories. That's a team I want to avoid until you maybe have to see them in the Final Four or National Title game. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, John P. Ryan, I missed this one about Mookie Cook. Uh, he asked the plan for the 2023 class at the wing spot with Mookie Cook leaning Oregon. Um, I know that they're very intrigued with Ron Holland. I do think that they are going to keep a very close eye on him in the next couple of weeks through the spring and summer circuit. Um, I, I do think that he is kind of firmly solidified himself atop those uh, that that group of 2023 wings, and I would not be shocked if, if UK pulls a trigger on offering him and goes all in with him. A lot of Texas connections there. He's a big fr- close friend of Damian Collins. Uh, they're in close connection there. So that I think that's something that uh, we could see some Jay Lucas magic there. Um, so keep a close eye on, on Ron Holland. But, you know, I, I think that next group, I'm not a huge, huge fan of of Matas. I know I got another question about Matas. I don't think Kentucky's a huge fan of him. I think they uh, were a little underwhelmed the last time they saw him, but they they're definitely kind of watching him this, uh, these next couple weeks and months uh, with, you know, uh, EYBL coming up and all these big time events, Pangos, all that Kentucky is very much keeping a close eye uh, on, you know, these guys because they want to, you know, McKenzie and and Baco, Every, they're wanting to see hope that one of these guys at the wings wing spot uh, solidifies itself as at the top of that, and, and they they hope that uh, they'll get two of those type of guys, uh, the the best two of that group. Who's going to you know the cream rises to the top? Who is going to emerge from that group uh, and really you know take over? And I think those are going to be uh, who they're going to go after, and I think that's something that we don't know quite yet. Uh, with Mookie leaving, uh, likely going to Oregon, though, I do think it does kind of narrow in the focus a little bit because there are so many options. Justin Edwards, I mean, there's there's just so many guys there competing for uh, just so few scholarship spots. So uh, I I do think these next couple weeks and couple months are going to be absolutely crucial. 
Uh, Wes Clevenger, any new speculation on our potential front court plays for next season? Who returns? Who leaves? Transfer portal additions. You know, there are a lot of who leaves, who comes back questions. Ethan Paul uh, asked who's going to transfer. Got to think there's going to be at least one. Um, Craig Mullen, is there any chance two or more starters return next season? I do. Uh, I definitely think that uh, we'll get Xavier Wheeler back. And I do think that if you want to consider Jacob Toppin a a starter because he has been starting recently. I do think Kentucky's going to get him back as well. Keon is definitely up in the air. I would like to see him come back, but uh, there's just a lot of scholarships for very few spots. And I do think that there, there's clearly going to be some attrition. I do think that Dante will end up transferring. I do think that uh, there's going to be an uncomfortable transfer. You know, if, it, you know, if, if Keon's that guy or Bryce is that guy, I know there has been that Bryce buzz. So I, I do think that you're going to see somebody because there is just a lot of bodies there, especially with Chris Livingston coming uh, in next season. Um, it, it definitely creates a, a, a kind of a, a, a large grouping of those guys for, for very few spots and very few minutes. So that's definitely something I would keep a close eye on. I, I'm not assuming anybody is gone. I do think that, that Cal will have individual conversations with all of them, but that's just kind of my early gut based on some of the scuttlebutt that I've heard. Brian Cunningham asked, what will staffing look like next year, uh, losing anyone to other programs? Sean, I haven't heard anything about UK possibly losing uh, anybody on that front. Have, have you? I think I think Cal's very happy with uh, his current grouping of Coach O, Chin, and Jay Lucas. Yeah, I think the I think this group is is pretty strong together, and I don't I don't see any changes uh, from the top. I mean, Jay is, is a, a guy that, that's young and, and a hot name in, in recruiting and in college basketball. I see could could be here for a few years and then maybe go off and be a head coach somewhere one day. Uh, Chin Coleman, I know a lot of people talk about how him and Cal kind of get into it and stuff on the sidelines, but I think that that passion is exactly what was needed, and I think that Chin actually likes that. I think that Cal likes it. I think that this staff is uh, is set for a while. Uh, and I, we'll wrap up with this because a lot of the other questions were kind of similar and we're running short on time. But uh, Frederick Moore, uh, kind of on the same Oscar slash Damien slash Bryce note, he says, if Oscar does come back next year, does that increase the likelihood that Damien or Bryce transfers? I think that it does. I love and appreciate Oscar, but I think a year two or a more of or a more developed Damien's uh, Damian and Bryce give us a higher ceiling than Oscar. Uh, I think Oscar is what he is at this point. I don't see how coming back next year can propel him into the first round. I do think, uh, Frederick, I do think that's kind of where some of those conversations are stemming from. On Oscar's side is, you know, yeah, the NIL stuff is a great deal. He'd shatter every record Kentucky has to offer. But, you know, what else can he provide at this level that he wouldn't get by starting his pro clock now? Because the, the clock is ticking and and you know he is getting older so that, that could be something that he considers as well but I guess uh, let's uh, kind of shift that question a little bit instead of if Oscar comes back Sean but more so gear it toward uh, the uh, what Frederick thinks about the high-end potential of Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins what do you think those two can be based on the limited viewings you've seen of them both this season what do you think they can be uh, in year two at Kentucky I think Bryce is a four could be very, very good. Once he kind of finds his footing and where he belongs in the college game, uh, gets better at ball handling, uh, con continues to get in really good shape, works on that outside jumper, that's a guy that in transition I think could be really elite. I mean, you see him in the open floor. Uh, he could push the ball and do some things like that. Uh, Damian Collins is a guy that just needs the weight room and just experience. And 
him to me the, the the important thing about next year's roster and, and you didn't get to do it this year and, and I get it Oscar's been dominant but Damian just needs to play I think the the more that you can kind of give him a long leash and just let him play that early conference schedule next year the the exhibition schedule I think that would be big for Damian uh, but obviously if, if Oscar's there it's going to take some opportunities away but you're hearing Cal now talk about playing Damian at the four which uh, which allows him to get on the floor more than it would be just playing behind Oscar at the five, and it gets Lance on the floor some too. But I think both of those guys can be very good. I know you're seeing Damian Collins with his free throw stroke, and you've seen him be willing to take a 15-foot jumper. It hasn't been the prettiest, but I'm sure if you work on it, it, it does look good out of his hands. Uh, he's a human pogo stick. Last night I thought he killed himself, honestly, when he <laughs> went to the floor. I was like, Lord, there's nothing to catch you. Uh, but, no, Bryce is a guy that I'm really excited about if he's at Kentucky beyond this year because I think that there, there's a lot to like about his game and another year of college basketball, I think he could develop into a star. Yeah, I, I could not be more high on both Bryce uh, and Damian. But, you know, Bryce, I've said on the show, I just hope that he plays this process out and really uh, understands and buys in that – he could be a P.J. Washington-type level player, and I think Cal even said this, and it, it kind of drives me nuts because it's what we've been saying all year long about who Bryce is and what made him special uh, last year in high school. It was because he was so skilled uh, at the small four position. That's that's literally what made him special and where he was getting the bulk of his his scoring, you know, kind of that inside-out, face-up game. He was so, so dynamic in the high post, and, and it just – he brought so much to the table at Fenwick last year, and I think he was at his best as a small ball four. And Cal's been running him at the three all year long, and, and he said, uh, I tried to put him in at the four, and we haven't practiced with him there all year long, and it really wasn't fair to him. And, uh, and he, you know, he said one of his tweaks that in practice was changing his position and moving him to the, to the four, and it's like, duh, that's what we've been waiting for all year long. I think that's where he projects, uh, at least in the short term. I think that's where he probably would have been best fit you know, long term, you want him to maybe be a three because it's probably what he'd be at the at the uh, NBA level. But I think at the college level, with his size, you know, a a, a small six seven, but still uh, six seven six six, right on that frame. But he's big, he's strong, he's tough, he's you know vers versatile, he's skilled, he can shoot the ball fairly well. I, I think he would have been perfect as that stretch four, uh, you know, small ball four. If you're running that dribble drive four out system, so I. I I definitely wish that that we would have gotten that earlier. And I do think that that's kind of the long-term vision with him next year. I think that's where we would see him at his best. Uh, so that's my goal. I'm hoping we will see, but uh, uh, thank you for all your questions. We got a lot of really good stuff there. Uh, very, very uh, impressed with uh, what we've seen. Um, just kind of the, the I, I love the feedback recently. We're getting a lot of great feedback. We're doing that giveaway before games for the KS Bar gift cards. Please keep reaching out. Give us five-star reviews. It, it makes us feel more uh, inclined to do stuff like that because there is such great feedback. We are having such a great time with it, and we obviously want to continue that going into uh, the home stretch, going into March. This is uh, a lot of fun. Let's uh, get out of here. We're going to do another pregame show before Florida uh, and then obviously a postgame show before and then wrapping up before we go into go down to Tampa uh, next Thursday. That's when I'm flying down. And I, I know you're flying, uh, driving down, I believe, Friday, I think. So we'll, we'll be down there. We'll do a lot of in-person stuff. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. So 
Uh, let's get out of here with one final message from our friends at Prize Picks. The NBA season is uh, well underway, and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite former Wildcats play than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and just pits you against the numbers, whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games. Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go over or under their projection prize picks gives you a chance to win 10 times your money for getting four or five predictions correct download the prize picks app or visit prizepicks.com using promo code pilgrim to get an instant 100 bonus up to 100 on your first deposit don't forget that's prize picks app or prizepicks.com using promo code pilgrim to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your favorite former kentucky stars to the next level sean smith where can fans find your work you can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter as well at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. That will be back next time from the Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then.